Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. chapter 1 we just want to read two or three verses here from uh, verses 12 through to 14 and then we want to go to Acts chapter 2 and uh, I think we'll just go through to verse uh, 13. Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Then uh, returned I unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey and when they were coming in, they were, went into an upper room where were uh, abode both Peter and James, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad and the multitude came together and were confounded, because they, that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in parts of Libya around Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. And the Lord bless his word to our heart tonight. Now we want to pick up uh, where we uh, left off uh, in our last session or so. And uh, we'll just draw our famous little line across here again. All right, so uh, as we've been following through in the book of Acts chapter 1 so far, we look particularly, first of all, at the uh, three days and three nights, the events that uh, happened there, and the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we went through a number of important events there. And then uh, we went to the next section, the 40 days, and... uh, the 40 days of post-resurrection ministry and all the uh, uh, important events that took place there uh, right through to the bodily ascension of the Lord. And at the end of the 40 days, we have the uh, bodily ascension of the Lord here. And then we come now to the 10 days through to what we're looking at tonight, uh, to Pentecost. So as we look at the uh, uh, board here, the just the uh, time element here, three days and three nights, 40 days and uh, fi- uh, 10 days. So we have, uh, as we've seen in our previous sessions, Feast of Passover fulfilled. And then the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread being fulfilled. 
and then of course the sheep of first fruits in the uh, resurrection of Christ. So in Passover we have his death, and in unleavened bread we have his burial, and in sheep of first fruits we have his resurrection. And then we come to the next feast, the feast of Pentecost, which is the feast of uh, 50 days, so altogether we have 40 days of Jesus, his post-resurrection ministry, uh, speaking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and then the 10 days through to Pentecost. Now I just want to take a few moments on uh, several points here, and uh, we want to look at uh, a couple of things. First of all, the things that are happening in heaven in relation to the Lord Jesus, and the things that are happening in, in earth in relation to the disciples. And uh, as we often say, so often we sort of take these things for granted because we're living way down this end of the age. Now, uh, I want to pick up here uh, what has happened here. Jesus has bodily ascended to heaven, as we've seen on our previous session, uh, ascended back to heaven. And now we have 10 days waiting for the uh, day of Pentecost to come. 10 days of tarrying meeting, uh, a prayer meeting in the presence of God. But there's certain things happening up here in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, who is the head of the church, the head of the body. And then we have the coming uh, potential body of Christ in the earth. So the head in heaven and the, uh, the body in earth. All right, now there's uh, several things I want you to pick up here. Uh, and uh, if you're taking down notes here, let's uh, just put up here in relation to heaven, we have four major things I want to touch on uh, just briefly here, but four major things in relation to the, the Lord Jesus in heaven. won't put them all on the board, but we'll just uh, verbalize them out. All right, number one, the first thing here, we have Jesus... Uh, and we touched on this sort of in, our, in, in one of our final sessions there. Jesus is entering into the heavenly sanctuary uh, to begin his ministry in the heavenly tabernacle. So just as Aaron fulfilled his ministry in the earthly tabernacle, Jesus is fulfilling his ministry in the heavenly tabernacle. Uh, heavenly tabernacle. Let's go over to the book of Hebrews here just for a couple of references. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, we'll pick up in verse uh, 14 and then go over to Hebrews uh, chapter 9 and 10. So first thing here, the, uh, after 40 days ministry, as we spent quite a bit of time on, Jesus bodily ascends to heaven and now we have the 10 days between his bodily ascension through to the day of Pentecost and four particular things in relation to the Lord Jesus. So in verse uh, 14 it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or our confession. So here's the expression once you pick up, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens on the cross, Jesus is our sacrifice in his earthly ministry, but in his heavenly ministry, he's our great high priest. So Jesus ascends, uh, and you'll notice the use of the word heavens, it's in the plural, that he is passed through the heavens. So fulfilling the Old Testament tabernacle uh, that we had in the, in the, uh, under the ministry of Aaron here with its three places here, uh, the, the outer court and then the holy place, and then the holiest of all, the most holy place, uh, Jesus is fulfilling that. So he's passed through the atmospheric heavens, uh, representing the outer court, and then the holy place, 
uh, represented in the atmosphere, uh, in the planetary heavens, and into the third heaven, into paradise itself, uh, into the very throne room of God. So just as Aaron went through those three places into the most holy place and took his blood, so we have seen that Jesus enters into the most holy place uh, with his own blood and with his own body. So he's passed into the heavens. Let's go to Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 9, which confirms the things. And you notice the use of the word heaven in the singular and heavens in the plural here. So Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, let's pick up in verse uh, 6 here, Hebrews 9, verse 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Spirit, this signifying, or speaking by a sign, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while the first tabernacle was yet standing. Then it goes into verse 11. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And uh, then it goes down to, way down to verse uh, 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, that's with animal blood, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but he's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the first thing that we uh, want to pick up here is after the 40 days ministry, and as we've touched on this in our previous session, uh, Jesus bodily ascends to heaven, and number one, he enters into the uh, most holy place, heaven's holiest of all, with his own, he's taken his blood, now he takes his body, and he enters in as our great high priest to begin his heavenly and priestly ministry. So that's the first most important thing, his entrance into the heavenly sanctuary as our great high priest. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. All right, number two, the second thing is this. I want you to turn over to uh, uh, Psalm, uh, oh, no, let's see, uh, let's see, Acts chapter 2 again. Acts chapter 2. And uh, we'll pick up in verse 34. Acts chapter 2, verse 34. And here Peter is speaking on the day of Pentecost, the uh, original Pentecostal sermon, we might say. So Acts uh, chapter 2, and verse 34. And Peter says, For David is not ascended into the heavens. Notice the use of the word heavens in the plural again. But he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. And Peter is quoting from Psalm 110, if you're taking references here, he's quoting from Psalm 110, where the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Uh, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and this is one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament by the apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, we'll pick up in verse 25 and 26. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 and 26. So uh, note what the language is. David is not ascended into the heavens, 
But he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right, right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For he must reign until he hath put all enemies under his feet. And what is the last enemy to be destroyed? Death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So the second thing I believe that happens here is that uh, the father now sends, says to the son, sit thou at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. So now his bodily ascension, Jesus ascends into the heavenly sanctuary and here we have the picture of Jesus as our great high priest. So his priestly ministry. But when he says, sit at my right hand, uh, we have the thought of a finished work here. So a finished work here, sit at my right hand until all your enemies become your footstool. Now turn back to Hebrews again because uh, these things are so taken up in the book of Hebrews uh, whereas the book of Acts doesn't deal, deal with it so much, just uh, refers to it. But Hebrews uh, chapter, chapter 10 now, Hebrews chapter 10. As I said, this verse is, is one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament about sitting on my right hand until I uh, put all your enemies under your footstool. Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, let's look at verse 11. Hebrews 10 and verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So referring to the earthly tabernacle here. But this man... And what, uh, and what is his name? Jesus. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice, so we think of the millions of sacrifices that were offered back there that could never take away sins, and a continuing changing priesthood by reason of death and imperfection. But here we have a perfect priest, a sinless high priest, living in the power of an endless life, and he offers not millions of sacrifices, but one sacrifice for sins. So it says, verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, and I think that's worth a hallelujah, aren't you? I'm glad that we don't have to offer animal sacrifices today, uh, aren't you? Yes. Amen. So this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, and what's he expecting? From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now you see, back in the Old Testament, and remember we've said on previous occasions that Jesus said, I'm not come to destroy the law or the prophets, I'm come to fulfill, and not one jot or tittle will pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So we see how he's been fulfilling all these things. Passover and all its intricate details, unleavened bread, sheep of first fruits, and now Pentecost, as well as the uh, whole uh, scene of the Day of Atonement and entering into a holy place, most holy place at all. So when Aaron or any priest went within the veil here, there was the Ark of the Covenant here and a bloodstained mercy seat. But how many know that, figuratively speaking, that mercy seat had a little sign on it reserved? Because no man dare sit on that seat. It was a never-finished work continual sacrifices, millions of animal sacrifices, and no priest could ever sit down. Uh, when they went within the holiest of all, that mercy seat, if anybody had of dared to sit on it, 
How many know what God would have done? He would have blasted them right out to Australia and maybe then some because that was reserved for him. So that's the beautiful language we have here in Hebrews. So this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Hallelujah. All right, so the second thing here is that the Father says, sit thou at my right hand, and he's going to stay there until all his enemies are under his feet. How many know that there's still some enemies to be put under his feet? Uh, in fact, it might shock you a little bit, but that's one of these scriptures that show that uh, Jesus won't come back tonight. Because he says, sit thou on my right hand until all your enemies are made your footstool, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So where is death going to be destroyed? It's going to be destroyed in that church that never dies. Because there's going to be a church that's going to be alive to his second coming. And they will escape the appointment with death. So Jesus is going to stay there until that last enemy is put under his feet. Now we know judicially everything happened at Calvary. He conquered sin, sickness, disease, death, Satan, and everything at Calvary judici judicially. But see, judicial truth has to become experiential truth. That's the balance between standing and state and judicial truth and experiential truth and the work that was done at the first coming and what's going to be consummated at the second coming. So we walk the bridge of faith there. All right, so the second thing is that uh, Jesus uh, is enthroned and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Sit there, uh, sit there at my right hand until, until I make all your enemies your footstool. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. All right, number three quickly here. Uh, the third thing that happens is he receives the exalted name. He ex receives the exalted name. Uh, I want you to look at a couple of scriptures with me on this. Uh, this is all uh, the, the events that Peter outlines in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, let's turn to Acts chapter 2 here again. So the third important thing that's happening in heaven. He ascends into the heavenly sanctuary where tonight, today he's ministering as our high priest. Number two, he's sitting at the Father's right hand. Uh, a finished work, the mercy seat. And now, number three, he receives the exalted name. Now listen to Acts chapter 2 again, and uh, we'll pick up in verse uh, 32. This Jesus is God raised up, whereof we were all witnesses, wherefore being by the right hand of God exalted. So if you're taking down notes, I want you to pick this up. He's received the exalted name. So therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended, so we have the ascension and the exaltation. In verse, uh, the previous verses from verse um, 25 on, we have his crucifixion, his resurrection, now his ascension, and his exaltation. These are the things that Peter outlines in his message here. So he says, David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. 
And now listen to the climax of it in verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, in verse 37 it says, Now, when they heard this, heard what? Now that the whole message climaxing in this, that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked, they were thoroughly stabbed, they were excessively irritated in their heart. And they made their own altar call and said, Brethren, what shall we do? How many like that type of altar call? All right, now let's turn over to a couple of other scriptures in connection with this. Uh, Psalm 110, which we've already quoted, because uh, uh, Peter is quoting from Psalm 110. So Psalm 110. And uh, we'll pick up in verse, verse 1. So Psalm 110, a Psalm of David. He says, The Lord said unto my Lord, So the Lord said to my Lord. And Peter has already quote, quoted that. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. So the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. So the seated position, enthronement, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. And then in verse 4, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So now we have involved in these ten days in relation to what's taking place in heaven. Jesus Christ is a high priest. He's seated as high priest, but he's not only a priest, he is also a king priest. Uh, the Lord said, uh, have sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever, a seated priest, one that has completed a finished work. Uh, you, you are a priest forever, not a changing priesthood now, but a priesthood for a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the order of Melchizedek is king and priest, uniting in, in, in himself both officers there. All right, so uh, we have that whole thought of lordship. Now let's turn over to Philippians chapter 2, where uh, Paul takes this whole thing up about the exalted name. Philippians chapter 2. As I said, so often we read through the Word and sort of take these things uh, for granted, and uh, we just need to be remi reminded of the glory of these things. Everybody said amen. amen. All right, Philippians chapter 2. And I know sometimes I ask you this question and sort of, tricky a little bit. How many believe that everybody's going to bow their knee at the name of Jesus? Amen. Okay, the answer is yes and no. Let's read the scripture properly. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. We're talking about his uh, exaltation, see. So far we've had his entrance as high priest, his enthronement, as being seated at the Father's right hand. Now we're talking about his exaltation. So three E's, entrance, enthronement, exaltation. So now he says, wherefore on the basis of his death, death of the cross, wherefore on that basis God also hath highly exalted him. And in how? What's the, what's the exaltation consist of? He has given him a name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. But don't stop there. Let's read the full thing. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So they're not just going to bow at the name of Jesus, but every knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the absolute Lordship of Christ. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, let's just touch this again very briefly. For 30 years, Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. 30 years. That was the name given. Notice the progressive, the progressive revelation of the, of the name, and we'll pick this up more next week, but in his incarnation... The, uh, the name Jesus was given uh, was Jesus. For, for his eternal name is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But when the Word was made flesh, the Word made flesh was named Jesus. So his eternal name is the Word. In fact, in the book of Revelation, when he comes back the second time, riding on the white horse, it says, and the rider on the white horse, his name is called the Word of God. So that eternal name that he had in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's his eternal name. But when the Word was made flesh, uh, he was named Jesus. So Jesus is the name of the Word in his incarnation. Then, 30 years later when he was baptized in the river Jordan, he received the next part of the name, and that was Jesus Christ. What does the name Christ mean? Anointed. So who made Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit. It was the anointing that made him the anointed. So now in the Gospels, he's known as Jesus Christ. So for 30 years, uh, known as Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, for three and a half years, he's known as Jesus Christ, thou art the Christ, the anointed one. But in the Gospels, he is never once called the Lord Jesus Christ because the third part of the name is now given to him here. How many get that? So now the Father is giving his name to the Son. So that's the importance of the triune name because as we pick up next week, when they heard this, that God has made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the Lord said to my Lord, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord. So uh, just take a natural illustration I use sometimes that my name is Kevin John Connor. I have a triune name for a triune man. Uh, I think I'm three and one and one and three. And uh, my surname is Connor. And I had a son, praise God. And so when my son was born, I gave him his own personal name, Mark Andrew. But also my son received his father's name, which is Connor. So if you say, Connor, come here, who do you mean, the father or the son? You wouldn't know unless you said Mark Andrew Connor or Kevin John Connor. So when we're talking about the Lord said unto my Lord, the Father is Lord, but because Jesus is the Son, now the Son in his exaltation becomes partaker of the Father's name. 
And that's why it says in Philippians, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And there's no name greater than the Father's name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when they heard this, they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this by way of anticipation. The first revelation that the Holy Spirit gave to Peter on the day of Pentecost was the triune name to be used in water baptism. It was the Spirit that revealed the name. And when they heard this, they were pricked, thoroughly stabbed, excessively irritated, I think one translation says, in their heart. Said, what we'll do? And he said, repent and be baptized in that name. All right, so number three, the third most important thing that's going on in heaven is Jesus receives the exalted name. So his entrance into the heavenly sanctuary to begin his ministry as high priest, and then he's seated at the right hand of the Father, a finished work as king priest, and now he receives the exalted name of Lord. All right, the fourth thing here is this. Let's turn back to the book of Acts now. The fourth thing is this. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All right, now the fourth thing here that happens is that Jesus, and listen carefully how I'm saying this here, Jesus receives from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit to pour out on all flesh. Now, see, there's a number of scriptures. Uh, Just put this one down, for instance, Luke chapter uh, 24 and 49. Luke 24, city of Jerusalem until you be endured with power from on high, the promise of my Father. And then when Peter speaks on the day of Pentecost, uh, he says in verse 16 of Acts 2, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And then he goes on when talking to the people that responded, he says, uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off. So, uh, without giving you a lot of scriptures on that, this is what, what has happened. Uh, verse 33 says the same thing. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, which you both now see and hear. Receiving the promise. Now, what had happened back in the eternal counsels of the Godhead, when Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the whole plan of redemption, uh, said when the Son would come to earth and complete his ministry and would experience death, burial, and resurrection and go back to the Father, the Father promised the Son, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, because uh, Jesus has said to the disciples, it's expedient that I go back to the Father, or the Holy Spirit will not come. The Father promised the Son, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, fullness, has been upon you as the head, and you can pour out the Holy Spirit on the church, and the Holy Spirit will continue in earth your ministry. 
which you began to do and teach back in your earthly days. Now that was the promise. The Father had promised the Son that. So Jesus now receives the promise of the Father, which is the promised Holy Spirit, and poured out this, which you both see and hear. So four important things that are happening as far as heaven is concerned. So number one, his entrance within the veil, uh, as the forerunner within the veil. Jesus has entered within the veil, Hebrews tells us that, to begin his ministry as high priest. Number two, sitting at the Father's right hand until all his enemies have made his footstool. Number three, receiving the exalted name of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. First uh, revelation of the triune name on the day of Pentecost revelation of the Spirit, and number four, receiving the Holy Spirit and pouring out the Spirit upon the waiting disciples. They're the four, uh, um, uh, four events that's taking place in heaven. How many think that's great? Yeah. That's what's going up in heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that the disciples understood it all down here. All right, now let's go down for our last few moments and see what is happening in earth. See what's happening in earth. Okay, I want you to go back to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and what's happening in earth. The major thing that's happening in earth here is there are 120 disciples and they're having a prayer meeting, a 10-day prayer meeting. And I think that's always an interesting principle here that Pentecost was preceded by prayer. In fact, you study all uh, church revivals and every outpouring of the Spirit has always been preceded by prayer. And so, 10-day prayer meeting. Uh, sometimes I ask the question, there were 500, Paul says, at least 500 brethren or 500 people saw Jesus off in the ascension. I always ask the question, what happened to the other 380? Only 120 got to the upper room and were there for that day of Pentecost. I wonder what uh, the attitude of the 380 was. How many know that uh, you can tell how popular Jesus is by prayer meetings? Those, po those guys probably had to catch up later but uh, they weren't in that original outpouring, 120. All right, so what are they doing here? They're having a prayer meeting. Go back to Acts chapter 1, and I believe it's uh, significant how the Holy Spirit's in inspired Luke here. You'll notice who's in the upper room, verse 13. When they were come in, they were, uh, went into an upper room where there was Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. So we have the 11 apostles there. Ju uh, of course, uh, Judas Iscariot is missing, and we've already spent a whole session on his replacement. All right, so we have 11 apostles. Not only that, we have some women here. And all the women said, Hallelujah. In verse th uh, 14, we're told that they were there with the women, and the Holy Spirit's put this here, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So uh, I'm glad Mary was in the upper room, aren't you? 
they could have, you know, uh, could have said, well, Mary, you know, you're the Immaculate Virgin. You don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've already had the Holy Spirit overshadow you. But she was already there. She realized that she needed the baptism. Now, I think there's just some very simple words here. And if you want to, uh, as we, uh, for our last number of moments here, just put down one, two, three, four, just some several thoughts I want you to pick here. Because heaven and earth are working together. Jesus is in heaven began his ministry as high priest, he's seated at the Father's right hand, he's received the exalted name, he's receiving from the Father the promise of the Spirit, and just waiting for the, the proper time, the day of Pentecost, fully come. And we've said this on previous occasions, I believe that uh, uh, whatever, whatever feast day, even in regards to the second coming, some people say, you know, if we hurry up and do this, and the church would have done this, and got the harvest in, then Jesus would have come back years ago. I don't believe that. I believe that uh, uh, God has his prophetic clock, and Passover was on an appointed day, a set day, and the sheaf of first fruits was on a set day. Day of Pentecost was on a set day when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Nobody could hasten it. Nobody could postpone it. There was a set day in God's prophetic clock as he works. And so Jesus is going to come back a second time right on the day. He's not going to come early or late. He's going to come right on time. And uh, so God's moving in his, in his prophetic clock here. All right, now there's some uh, significant thoughts here. Uh, as I said, heaven and earth are working together. Jesus is in heaven, the disciples are in earth. All right, number one, the first thing we pick up here is that they were all continued with one accord. One accord. And you have this in verse 14, these all continued with one accord. And then you have it on day of Pentecost too, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So, as someone has said, they didn't go to the upper room to get the, uh, to become of one accord. They were already of one accord before they went there. There was a unity of purpose there. So I said, I don't know what happened to the other 380, but this 120, they were there with one accord. So there was unity there. Why don't you put down a couple of scriptures here. In, in fact, in the first several chapters of Acts, this is one of the key expressions one accord, one accord, one accord, unity. Uh, Acts chapter uh, 1 verse 14, if you take it down references, references here, Acts 1 14, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, Acts chapter 2 verse four, uh, 46, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, one accord, Acts chapter 4 verse 24, one accord, Lifted up their voice uh, with one accord. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 32, we have the same. A multitude of them that were believed were one heart and one soul. And uh, so we just have that, that, that unity there. That unity there, one accord in one place. Uh, Alright, number two, the second thing here. Uh, picking up words from chapter 1 verse 14 these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication just make a note of the words prayer and supplication let me give you a, a fine petition, uh, distinction between prayer and supplication the word prayer means to petition 
And the word supplication means to humble oneself. It's actually self-abasement. So prayer and supplication. So prayer is to petition. And uh, the whole thought is uh, they continue. There is constant and continual prayer. I don't, I, I don't think, you know, uh, and, and having, you know, been Salvation Army and then coming to a Pentecostal background and having been in tarrying meetings, uh, I don't think that they had this attitude in prayer that some people do when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, if the Lord wants to baptize me in the Spirit, He knows where I live, He knows my name and address. What, what sort of prayers do you think were going up from the upper room? You know, they're there of one accord in one place. I don't think there's any criticism going on. I, I can't imagine, you know, uh, Matthew going over to Peter and saying, Peter, you'll never get the baptism of the Spirit. You cussed the Lord out three times. No hope for you. And I don't think Peter struck back at Matthew and said, listen here, you old tax gatherer. You rip people off. Don't you talk to me about cussing the Lord out. And, I, you know, I don't... Do you think there's any of that going on, criticizing? Huh? I don't think there's any of that. And I don't think they all jumped on to uh, Thomas and said, Thomas, you'll never get the baptism. You're a doubter. You didn't even believe in the resurrection of the Lord. You know, he wasn't a doubting Thomas. He became a shouting Thomas. Uh, you know, so they're there of one accord. You know, you've got men and women. What do you think could happen in this place if all the men and women were of one accord? In one place. You know? It's all preceded Pentecost, the outpouring. And prayer and supplication, what, do, what sort of prayers do you think they were praying? Well, Lord, if you want to baptize me, I'm here. If you want me to speak in tongues, it's okay with me, I don't mind. Earnest prayer. Okay. Prayer and supplication. I've got on my notes here, constant, continual prayer, not listlessness, carelessness, indifference, persistent in prayer and supplication, earnest, sincere heart prayers based upon the word of promise. Uh, they realize their need. And you know, as I said, we're so far removed from this, down this end of the age, but I believe that they, you know, realize the tremendous need. God, you've told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I've never been out of Jerusalem yet. I've never been to a Gentile. Going with all those dirty old Gentiles and all the different culture, the cultural barriers we've got to cross. Make disciples of all nations. Oh, look, it's just impossible. Go and plant churches. Oh, forget it, Lord. You know, we, we just can't do it of ourselves. I believe they had a real sense of helplessness and hopelessness without the Spirit. So we just can't do it of ourselves. So when they had that sense of need, what sort of prayers would arise from their hearts. All right, so number one, one accord. Number two, prayer and supplication. Number three, uh, I've got on my notes here, they were in a spirit of praise and obedient faith. So a spirit of praise and obedient faith. Put down Luke chapter 24 on your notes here. Luke chapter 24, our time's just about through. Luke 24 and verse 44 to 53 and we're told that they went back to the temple and they were daily in the temple praising God. So there was an element of prayer, supplication, an element of praise. 
and also obedient faith. Acts chapter 5 and verse 32 is a good scripture, Acts 5.32. He gives the Spirit to them that obey Him. So this 120 were obedient. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endured with power from on high. So there was obedient, uh, obedience there. So faith and obedience. Uh, I think it's Evangeline Booth put it this way. There was not disobedient faith. You know, they didn't say, oh well, I've got, I've got work to do, you know, 10 days in a prayer meeting, it's just absolutely ridiculous. The dishes aren't washed, the kids haven't had their diapers changed, and you know, I've got so much to do in the garden, and the fish, and the nets, and everything like that. 10 days, whoever ever t heard of a 10-day prayer meeting? But there was obedience, you tarry in Jerusalem. So praise and obedient faith. And then the last thing here, as I've alluded to, I believe that the disciples had a real sense of responsibility. We've seen in the 40 days that Jesus had been speaking the kingdom of God. He'd given them the great commission, go and preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations. This is a whole new area of thought to them, whole world. I mean, they're Jews, they're bound up with the Jewish culture, and to think of bridging cultural gaps and going to Gentile nations and making disciples of all nations, planting church, I mean, the whole thing. I think they just realize that sense of responsibility and say, Lord, we just can't do it without you. It's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. And uh, Lord, we're here. We want the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Earnest prayer, continual prayer as they sought the Lord in heaven. And then it was climaxed with that day when the day of Pentecost was fully come. The Holy Spirit came, rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting and uh, uh, tongues of... Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.